This is WTOP reporter Nick Ionelli, and today we're joined by Captain John DeFilippi, a Virginia State Police Captain with the Bureau of Criminal Investigation. He's also the Division Commander for the Culpeper Field Office. Captain, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for everything you do, by the way, and for everything the Virginia State Police Agency does for all Virginians. With that being said, let's start off with a very simple question for you. What makes the Virginia State Police Agency so important for Virginians? Well, the Virginia State Police and the Bureau of Criminal Investigation represents a professional law enforcement agency that's then able to provide a group of highly trained agents who have the capability to respond to crisis situations statewide and in turn extend these resources anywhere within the Commonwealth across jurisdictional lines. Uh, BCI has placed a significant emphasis on securing training and equipment that allows our agents to be specialists within a multitude of areas and bring resources that represent a cutting edge of technology. Uh, For example, one of the most recent examples is our new rapid DNA program, which utilizes the Andy rapid DNA instrument. Um, These instruments are able to return DNA results in less than two hours, which is a significant, uh, significantly shorter period of time than what we've been able to see in the past. Um, These results are then able to be used by agents and investigators uh, to confirm suspects or theories, exonerate innocent parties, and guide or refocus an investigation. It also helps to alleviate the burden on the Department of Forensic Science in cases where samples might not be used for court or in the case of an exoneration or an elimination of a suspect. We uh, are then able to offer these specializations and resources to our local partners uh, to help further their investigations and you know extend this across the Commonwealth. So that DNA technology, that sounds like it's something relatively new, maybe in the past decade or so. Is that right? Yes, sir, it is. Do you know how new it is? Uh, it is within the, the, the last decade. The in, initial design for rapid DNA was uh, crafted because of a need for the military and being used in uh, insurgencies uh, overseas and in identifying suspects in terrorism-type cases uh, where insurgents were uh, making IEDs and you know possible threats to our troops. Uh, the design was came about with the idea that they could create an instrument that would be able to take laboratories, you know, a laboratory to the battlefield or be transported to special forces and uh, soldiers could test results from the field and get an instantaneous result almost of uh, of if the, they had the right suspects that they were looking at in, in the global war on terrorism. It was then started to be uh, crafted for the idea that we could start using it for purposes of like booking and buckle swabs of uh, like intakes at jails and to try to create an increase in database results for DNA swabs. Uh, to you know, in, assist with unknown crime solving and uh, identification of suspects. So it's a relatively new technology now for being used on the investigative side. The the buckle swab um, rapid DNA program for for intake has been out for a little bit, uh, but there are a few other agencies that have started using it. One of the most notable being the Kentucky State Police uh, started using it to help eliminate a backlog that they had in terms of sexual assault kits and have started utilizing it uh, routinely on those types of cases. And the Virginia State Police is uh, now pioneering using it to to help with investigative leads 
for our purposes. Uh, we're still going to be using the Department of Forensic Science for the purposes of identifying, uh, making an idea, a DNA identification for court purposes and for the on the legal side of things. But the most important thing is that this will provide us with DNA results that, again, are re- available in less than two hours. And the advantage being that we're able to get the results back to the investigator or the agent and craft an investigation because, unfortunately, with the the older technology, you may have to wait for you know days, even if a result was was rushed by the lab. By that time, potentially the the case has turned in a way that you might not be able to recover from. Uh, additionally, we want to exonerate people who are innocent and not have them over any type of scrutiny that's undeserved and you know turn their lives upside down in in any kind of fashion. So this helps to exonerate and turn the investigation away if they're innocent completely. And finally, it helps to alleviate that burden on the Department of Forensic Science. As we said, in many cases, uh, if it's not going to be used for court purposes, we want to alleviate them from having to run a, a result. If they rush something, then something else is not getting ran that day. And it creates a trickle down and, you know, hurts the backlog situation. We want to, you know, be able to assist all of our partners and the Department of Forensic Science by doing this, that we can help guide the investigations, but not put undue, undue burdens on the forensic system, too. So that's a technological advancement in recent years. Absolutely. What do you think in the future, in the near future, what do you think technology can bring in terms of maybe more, um, you know, more techniques kind of like that? And just in the way that you respond to things? Do you have any hopes or uh, expectations for where technology is going to go in the coming years? Well, uh, technology is definitely uh, not slowing down. Um, it's it's changing every day. And I have to admit that in the, the last decade or even 20 years, um, the way that policing has been done has been greatly influenced by technology. Uh, you know, the things that we saw 20 years ago on television when people watched CSI that was pretty much fantasy on how quickly they could return results is now becoming reality. Um, the rapid DNA program is just one example of it. Uh, we also have um, other instruments like our, our Leica system, which uses laser scanners that can provide very, very exact three-dimensional sketches of crime scenes that log the positions of everything in a crime scene, including the evidence, under a millimeter. So the ability to draft and present a map of the crime scene is much greater than any of us could have ever hoped for back when we used to have to use tape measures and uh, the human eye to to measure where pieces of you know evidence were located, and then having to to sketch them. The the results we have now are way more precise than we could ever even have hoped for, uh, with even CAD drafting software you know ten years ago. Another uh, advancement is panoramic photography that we're able to offer. Uh, this is uh, a way that we can take uh, photographs of the, the crime scene much the same way that you walk through a home on a home tour and you click and, and move through and, and can walk through a home. We're able to now offer this for crime scenes that we can walk uh, a jury through a crime scene through the panoramic for photography so they can be sitting in a jury in a in the jury box in a courtroom and being able to virtually walk through the crime scene and see everything that the investigator saw that day. And 
be honest with you, the the resources, or I'm sorry, the um, the technology is not going to slow down. Things like cellular technology and computers are only con- continuing to grow faster and carry more information. So I think we're going to continually see law enforcement having to adapt and to embrace this this new technology and to be able to utilize it to accomplish our goals. And with all of the benefits from technology, we also have risks because of cybersecurity threats, and that's certainly uh, an issue just for individuals and government agencies, and everybody's dealing with that. As far as the uh, the idea of technology posing a risk or a threat to people, what are you watching for within the Virginia State Police in terms of people facing those kinds of threats? Well, one of the biggest threats that we're seeing today uh, revolve around scams that are happening. Um, individuals are able to target unknown citizens with uh, either the prospect of amazing gains or fear of some negative occurrence. Um, technology, unfortunately, has allowed these scammers to be able to target people um, via dialing machines that randomize phone numbers, making it look like they may be a legitimate number. In fact, our office here, um, some folks have called back saying that they had received a phone call from our office, and it just happened to be the random number that one of these scammers had um, come up on their machine. The 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 thing that happens with these scammers and how technology is helping them is by these automated dialing machines, not only does it hide the exact number that they're calling from, often which is out of, out of the country even, and they're using voice over IP and internet uh, to reach out to them, but it also allows them to make thousands and thousands of phone calls in the hopes that one picks up. And unfortunately for the citizenry, these scammers only have to be right one time out of a 10,000 or a 100,000 for them to make their their mark and, and get some sort of financial gains. Some of the examples that we've seen recently involve uh, threats of arrest by the FBI, state police, or the IRS, a loved one having been in an accident in a foreign country or actually been placed in jail and having to pay to get them out, or attempts to get you to reveal personal or financial information. Uh, the biggest advice that I can give anyone is always verify before you ever give any information or money over the phone or the computer to somebody. All the agencies um, that you know are legitimate, like the state police, the FBI, or any of the other federal government agencies, we all have contact information online. If you have um, a call like this and you do believe it's somehow legitimate, if the person is legitimate, they're not going to mind if you say that I want to hang up and call back on a legitimate number that you can get off of their agency website or a, or a, a number that can be verified otherwise. Um, and also, I can say that no legitimate law enforcement agencies, we're not going to be asking for credit card information or financial information over the phone without some kind of other verifying uh, information you know, being provided to you or a meeting with you. So... These are some of the biggest threats that we're seeing people being threatened by, you know, technology. And we're just asking people that, you know, if you have a question or if you think it's too good to be true or if it seems suspicious, verify before you give out any type of information. How would you say that the Virginia State Police Agency overall goes about dealing with federal, state, local partners, because you are a state agency, so I would imagine if an investigation or a challenge or an emergency happens that you have to 
coordinate with other agencies. That probably comes up frequently, I guess. So how would you go about, as an agency, dealing with federal, state, local agencies? Well, the biggest thing is we try to coordinate regularly with all of our federal, state, and local partners. Um, These include meetings to share intelligence. Uh, We discuss crime trends uh, and other community concerns. And then finally, we have a lot of task forces that are focused on specific criminal justice concerns. Um, These all include narcotics trafficking, human trafficking, cybercrime, and violent crime, to just name a few. We mainly try to build and maintain these relationships. Um, It's, in fact, a very high priority for the entire agency and the division commanders in each of the field offices or or field divisions for the uniform side. Um, It's often been said, uh, we don't want to be the first time that we meet someone to be at a crisis scene. So the establishment and the maintaining of these relationships fosters cooperation that helps everyone involved, especially the citizens of the Commonwealth. So we work very hard to make sure that we um, build and foster all of these relationships on a regular basis and and continually communicate with one another. And how about the private sector? Does that play a role in your communications? Yes, sir. Um, we always um, try to contact the, um, the the private sector and work with them. Uh, private sector relationships are vitally important. Uh, to go back to um, the Rapid DNA program, uh, many of the technology adv- technological advances that we rely upon are products of private companies. Um, we have an outstanding relationship with Andy, who manufactures the Rapid DNA instrument. They've been instrumental in ensuring that we've received all the needed training. They've provided technical support. And they've helped us craft the uh, policy for this groundbreaking technology as we've implemented it. Um, However, it goes much further. We regularly use cell data and electronic evidence in the pursuit of justice. It requires uh, regular interaction with the private Internet and telecommunication companies. In addition, private financial sector partners respond quickly to requests or provide intelligence if suspicious financial transactions occur. This is this enables us to prevent or investigate white-collar crime, money laundering, and various other trafficking crimes. In the age of see something and say something, we extend this to all crime, not just terrorism. It just may be that a private sector entity that comes across something that seems suspicious or an irregularity, it points to other far-reaching criminal activity. Okay, that's all I got for you, Captain. Thank you so much for your time. All right, thank you.